Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS. And today, we're talking about using real-world data to understand patient journeys in dermatology with Stefan C. Weiss, MD, Managing Director of Dermatology at OM1. This episode is sponsored by OM1. So, Stefan, first of all, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you, Garth, for having me. And I think we are used to, from medical affairs, looking out into this world of post-marketing safety studies they can be big, they can be cumbersome. How do they work now and what is their importance? Right, so I think they are still big and they are still cumbersome. <laughs> and, and I think that that's where they can change. And, and like everything, as we've seen in this world, technology is allowing us to do things better, faster, and more efficiently. And the goal is to convert these types of safety studies uh, in a similar fashion. And so it's important to understand why they're big and cumbersome and then why we should be able to do them in a better way, I think. Okay, well, well, catch me up. So, I mean, clinical trials, you have all these sites around the country and people, you know, come in physically and they are usually given some treatment. And then safety studies, do they just continue at these same sites and people keep coming in for checkups and ask, you know, they're asked about adverse events or, or, or how do they physically work now? Right. So, so partially that is correct. And so I think it's, it's always important to understand the communication of safety and the information that drives that communication uh, is achieved in two ways. So okay. one is, as you were saying, clinical trial patients are continuously monitored long after the clinical trial has completed uh, and long after the drug is approved so that we have three, five and 10 year safety and efficacy data on these individuals that aren't lost to follow-up. Yeah, okay. The other aspect of it is the post-marketing safety commitments that the FDA may put on top of a therapeutic following its approval. Ah. And, and so these are the post-approval safety studies that are required by the agency for a new therapeutic. Those are done historically, not dissimilar from the way you described a clinical trial, where you're going to enroll a bunch of sites around the country and have people that are being prescribed a certain therapeutic or have a certain disease if you're looking at therapeutics more broadly within that class uh, and followed again for some prescribed period of time as defined by the agency. Okay. I, and I'm sorry for these background questions, but how do you get those people to come in once the drug's approved and you know you have a safety commitment from the FDA? What what is their incentive to come back in for safety monitoring? Don't they just get the drug, drug approved and then they, they they're administered the drug? So so they are administered the drug, and these safety studies for post marketing safety commitments are done on routine clinical care. So if you're a patient with a particular disease and you're prescribed drug X, and that drug is under the is a newly approved drug with a post marketing safety commitment, uh, the provider who gave it to you would enroll you in this study to follow you long term. Okay. So great. One example we brought up when, when we were chatting about what we were going to talk about is uh, JAK inhibitors in dermatology. I know dermatology is your specialty. Is this, uh, is this an example of how safety studies are cumbersome and expensive, or is this a, a, a story of how they should be run? I, I, I can't wait to hear the story. Right. So, so classically, they're still being done in the larger cumbersome way. And, and again, getting back to a point we started to talk about a little earlier, 
it's really based on history. So it wasn't that long ago where you walked into a physician's office and there were these things called manila folders and we referred to them as charts and they had little letters on the side for your last name. And if you were an office that had been in existence for 30 years, you could imagine the chart rooms that existed. Today, we have EMRs propagating throughout the medical system, which allows us to collect all of this information uh, in a data-driven fashion. And because of that, we can now look to surveil safety, efficacy, et cetera, by using the data that's coming from the EMR. And so the goal would be to take these safety studies, no longer have them in their cumbersome fashion, uh, and use data to do this more efficiently. The other aspect that you run into when you use the classic methodology of enrolling sites to bring in patients mm -hmm. versus data surveillance is you don't necessarily get an appropriate context of the population. So you can imagine the sites that you're going to go to for a post-marketing safety study are not going to be that dissimilar from the sites you're going to use for clinical trial enrollment pre-approval. Yep. That's not necessarily capturing the large population of patients who may be exposed to a drug. And so, for instance, I live in the state of North Carolina. You could well envision that Charlotte, the Greensboro, Wake Forest, uh, Winston-Salem area, and Raleigh-Durham would be sites that you would have both clinical trials and post-marketing safety studies. Yep. But there's a large population of patients in Eastern North Carolina uh, that look different than the patients who may be in one of the three major metropolitan areas. There are older, more retired populations, both in the mountains on the coast, that may be different than the younger, more affluent population in the three urban centers. And so if we don't conduct safety studies with a broader encatchment, we're not necessarily going to understand the impact of any particular therapeutic on individuals that represent a more diverse but representative population of the users of the therapeutic. Okay. You know, I've talked with folks about distributed clinical trials. Is this a distributed safety study? You it would, it would sort of represent the same thing, exactly. Kind of the same thing. Okay. Okay. Well, you, 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 we missed the story of JAK inhibitors. <laughs> so what 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 happened and what's the learning? Right. So so JAK inhibitors sort of represent any other immunologic therapeutic that we've brought into the world of dermatology, rheumatology, ah. and inflammatory bowel disease over the last decade. Okay. Where we're trying to enroll patients to follow their long-term safety. In the case of JAK inhibitors specifically, we understand there are certain safety signals that we have to be respectful of. Sure. And we want to ensure that those are not occurring at a rate higher than they did within the clinical trial populations. But in order to do that, we need to have a diverse population of individuals who we can follow over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, what ends up happening is you end up having a number of patients who are enrolled in the classic model of safety studies, lost to follow up or changing providers. Because again, when you go from insurance company A to insurance company B, because your employer in the enrollment period has changed, you may now need to see a different provider. And if your provider is not part of the safety study population of sites, you are now out of that study. We've lost that data. By following you in the background, we can continue to maintain that relationship, i.e. a distributed clinical trial where the relationship is with the patient more so than the site. Uh, and that data continues to be collected so we understand what the implications are. And that's going to be critical for the use of JAK inhibitors in dermatology, 
where they're coming in now as second line agents, specifically in atopic dermatitis, uh, against a more well-established therapeutic uh, that has a more favorable safety profile by clinical trial design, uh, but may not be much different as we understand it over the long term. But we need to have that long-term data to really understand what the implications of that therapy are. Okay, so that's interesting. The data is attached to individual patients, not necessarily to the site or the provider. So if the site of the provider changes, you can still follow safety in that patient. This sounds like a lot of data. Uh, big data requires technology. So how do we then follow all of this data to keep track of these safety signals that we need to, to ensure that usage in the real world population um, adverse events isn't exceeding what we saw in the clinical trials. Right. And so, so to your point, to, to collect and uh, curate all of that data, we start by tokenizing the individuals. And so that keeps everybody de-identified, which is important from a standpoint of healthcare privacy. Yep. Uh, and start with the EMR data where we get the information on the individual patient that that individual has disease X and is being prescribed treatment Y. Yep. And then we link that data deterministically to other sources of data. So it could be hospitalizations, it could be pharmacy data, it could be social determinants of health data, it could be death data in certain instances. Oh, interesting. Because there you're going to begin to follow that patient journey in a more robust manner. So we may not be collecting in a, let's say, a dermatology office looking at a JAK inhibitor for safety, uh, someone's hemoglobin A1C because they're a diabetic. And we may not be checking blood pressure on any regular basis within the dermatology visit. But those are important factors to look at as we try to understand the safety of any particular therapeutic. So by linking that individual's medical record that we are collecting as part of the safety study on the dermatology side with the other data points that come from other visits that are within the real world data cloud that we link to within the, the company's database, it allows us to paint a more thorough picture of that individual Understand, should there be a hospitalization for a MACE event? Should there be an elevation in blood pressure? Should there be a change in hemoglobin A1C? Whatever the safety metric is that we're most concerned about, we're able to follow passively uh, and not lose that information again when the patient may leave one particular provider or site to go to another. This sounds like it just got much more complex. You know, I was thinking safety study. So you have patient X taking drug a, it, or you have a patient taking a drug, and if right. they have an adverse event, then that becomes part of the safety profile of the drug. But you're saying that you may have to disentangle that a little further, saying that if, if a patient is taking a drug and has an adverse event, like high blood pressure, maybe there's something else causing that. You know, is, is that due to the drug? Are you disentangling an adverse event from causality of the drug using this data? Or, or, or is it still just as simple as, you know, a patient taking a drug across a population, how many of these adverse events are there? Right, it's still more the latter, where we're never going to be able to link specifically the causality. But what the FDA is interested in, is there an elevation in signal? Are we seeing okay. more MACE events in patients that are on a particular therapeutic 
than in those with a similar disease on a different therapeutic. So what do we understand about okay. the relationship between a specific patient population on drug A versus a similar population on everything but drug A? Okay. In that way, we're able to follow that information. The other aspect of it is, and think about this yourself, when you see a particular um, physician, be it a dermatologist, orthopedist, et cetera, you're really only focused on the reason you're in that office. You're not likely to discuss the other aspects of your medical issues with a provider that's not relevant to that. And okay. so you're not always going to capture these events in the normal course of conversation with the provider of interest that's the site provider for this study. Whereas if we look at your data in the aggregate, we'll begin to understand how this is impacting you in areas that may not be relevant to you in that initial conversation with, again, let's use your dermatologist in this situation. Okay, so we we talked a little bit about, it seems like there's a lot of promise in using a big data approach to safety studies. We talked about one of the promises and that would be a more representative population, you know, rather than just looking at similar sites to your clinical trial. It also seems like this could be faster, cheaper, easier, you know, what do you see as the value of transitioning to a more big data technology-based approach? I, mean, I think that you summarized the two big reasons. One, it's uh -huh. faster, faster, cheaper, better. <laughs> uh, and, and two, which everybody wants, especially in today's day and age. And two, you really want to capture the diversity of patients that are using a therapeutic to understand, are there specific safety signals in individuals who may not have been appropriately captured within the clinical trial. And so an example is a recent therapeutic that was approved in psoriatic arthritis mm -hmm. was 96 or 97% Caucasian in the clinical trial. But the population itself is a roughly 60 to 70% Caucasian that suffers from the disease. So there's an entire population of individuals who were not studied in the clinical trial, mm -hmm. may very well receive the therapeutic as part of their routine clinical care. So what I want to understand as a provider is if I put this patient on a drug, would they get the same response as the individuals who were studied in the clinical trial? But more importantly, would they have the same favorable safety profile that was elicited within the clinical trial? <laughs> that sounds like a lot of data. And I'm glad that you are working with the technology to make sense of it all. Okay, so let's leave it there for today. Stefan, thanks for joining us. To learn more about how you can partner with OM1, visit OM1.com. With specialization in chronic conditions, OM1 is reimagining real-world data and evidence. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.